Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny for those who are willing to open their hearts to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, I'm going to switch over while you play a video for us. Across the country in states where governors and state legislatures are dominated by progressive policies, there's been a concerted effort to restrict churches from opening their doors. As more and more pastors report being treated unfairly, it begs the question, is there a more sinister agenda at work? The New York Police Department says it has evidence that anarchist groups were pushing the protests toward violence and vandalism. Once again, violent protests erupting over the weekend. Two L.A. County Sheriff's deputies are in the hospital after they were ambushed in Compton, shot multiple times. Extremist organizations have infiltrated the protests intent on stirring up trouble. They actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Both the family and the church are under attack by Black Lives Matter and Marxist-Leninists across the globe. The Marxists are really driving um, the narratives, and unfortunately, a lot of Americans are deceived because they don't know what has hit them. Marxism is Karl Marx's specific um, take on socialism, which called for, for bloody revolution, for overthrow uh, of the government. It was something that he predicted. The Marxist-Leninist uh, uh, movement uh, believes that the family uh, and God are the opiums of the people and, use, uh, and useless constructions. And so they not only attack God, they uh, uh, attack the family. The leaders of Black Lives Matter are, are self-avowed Marxists. Uh, and, and what they had on their website, they talked about the destruction of the nuclear family. We know, Tony, that the family is the incubator of liberty. You destroy families, you breed a dependency on government. And what we know about Marxism and Leninism is that those are godless philosophies. Uh, and so uh, these folks try to drive God and faith and religious liberty out of the public square and they, they in fact see a bureaucratic government as being the provider of our basic fundamental human rights. If you go and read the Communist Manifesto and then look at, at what they're saying on the Black Lives Matter website, they're talking about the destruction of the nuclear family. They're just uh, talking about the destruction of society, of capitalism. All of that comes straight out of what Marx uh, and Engels put in 1848 in that little dangerous book. My name is Virginia Pradhan. I am a survivor of the atrocities of socialism. I grew up under socialists in Romania during the totalitarian regime of dictator Nicolae Ceaușescu who transformed Romania into a land of lies and a prison land. Churches were demolished or destroyed. Pastors, preachers, dissidents or arrested, killed, or simply disappeared. I was declared an enemy of the state. 
my legal work was an act of treason. If you go to the Black Lives Matter website and you read what they stand for, uh, what they stand for are not things that will improve the lives of Black Americans. And if you follow Antifa, they just really want to destroy the whole American system. Saul Alinsky, uh, you know, who wrote a book called Rules for Radicals, he was a Marxist, and it's his playbook that they're largely following. He said the thing is never the thing. In, in other words, uh, the idea is revolution. It's, it's uh, what we're seeing isn't revolution. We're seeing an attempted coup d'etat, and there's a, there's a difference in that. But uh, his meaning was you're, you're always deflecting what you're really trying to achieve. So uh, you have pastors in pulpits who are uh, thinking that they're addressing racial injustice and that they're endeavoring um, to bring peace to their congregations. But what they don't understand is that's not the thing. This is all being used as a pretext, not for social justice, but for injustice. Look, Martin Luther King framed it in the 60s. Uh, and it applies right now. We have a choice to make. Do we accept and embrace chaos, or do we build community? Uh, justice cannot take root in, in chaos. And so folks who are chaotic and disruptive in the name of justice are, are, are living a lie. America is the best country in the world. Wake up. Wake up before the atrocities of socialists will wake you up. America's freedom is on the line. And I know that some people who are watching this are thinking, well, this is just about the, uh, the right and, uh, um, you know, uh, a bunch of religious kooks, you know, or whatever. This, I, what I would say to you is this, you're a reasonable American. Um, life as you know it is on the line. You don't have to be a Christian. Freedom is at stake here. If you would like to be uh, hated, you would be a pastor about to do what I'm going to do today. So, I know not by this room, but there's a reason that they threatened me with jail. This very year, what uh, we are going to do together is not politically correct. It is biblically correct. Amen. It's not socially acceptable. But it is acceptable by the Father. Amen. And I'll verify all of that uh, through the scriptures so that no one has to do that thing where they are kind of hoping it's right, but maybe it's not right, but it could be right, but I'll, I'll verify that that's all right. And to keep me focused, I'm going to use a PowerPoint. Thank you, Todd. Which, um, all y'all know how I like to... Almost all y'all know, because just the ones that are laughing know more. <laughs> I, I have to be very purposeful in in something like this in order to to hit the target. I get fussed at incessantly by the staff, 
and by my wife um, that I need to definitely stay in point because they all know me and know me enough that when I get to the end, I'm like cramming and pushing. And my wife says all the time, she goes, I know what the Lord gave you for the end of your message was the culmination of everything in your message. And then you rush through that because you don't want to, you know, I'm not thinking about the clock. I don't know how to, I want to, I want to do this. I want to, hey, now that's power right there. Um, I want to, I want to say this just so folks know, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to go long or go short. I'm not trying to hit some, some magical time target. I'm trying to get from me like a, a mail carrier. I'm trying to deliver something that I have. And I don't want to leave something in the sack just because um, maybe somebody doesn't want to carry their mail. Like, it's not mine. It's not from me. It's from the Father. So I, I want to I give that. But I also obviously want to be... I want to understand that some uh, some folks have other things today. I don't know why. Like to me, like it's all downhill after church. But whatever. <laughs> um, and personally, I, I don't think I I don't think I've honestly left this building before like two p.m. in six months or something, so, which is totally fine. Um, I'll stay here as long as you guys stay here. So you you don't have to rush off. I don't have to say amen and you and you split the place. But I'm also not trying to make it so that if you have something that I'm in the way. But this for probably ninety percent of you, this is the only chance. This is the only chance that the Father may get a direct message to your heart in a week. And I'm not beating anybody up. I, just, I understand. YouTube can get you for 12 hours. The TV can get you, if you are an average American, the TV gets you for 38 hours. But... Mostly, usually, the people of God, we just don't have time for that, like, church stuff. And don't you know how that really blesses the Lord's heart? Oh, I'm a church stuff thing. So I'm not trying to to slow down anybody's day, to hinder anybody. But this kind of stuff, not being done, not being said is why we are in the state that we're in, in America. And I'll be honest with you, personal experience. When they threatened to come pick me up and take me to jail, I could count on two hands the number of people that stood with me. (laughs) Some of you didn't know. I'm I'm not fussing in this room. I'm saying, and... I can name you names of people that stood with me for years and years and fled. This is when it gets real. When you start talking about this stuff, I can stand up here and talk about the love of God, and everybody's like, oh, that was the greatest message ever. And I do. Don't, like, you don't get to, 
talk about the gospel of the kingdom without talking about the love of God. It is, it is an indispensable part of it. God is love. God is holy. God is righteous. God is judge. That would be like me walking up and saying, Cindy has black hair. And then everybody in the room says, oh, okay, I know Cindy. You know one thing about one part of Cindy. If you know about the love of God, God bless you, I'll say this, that you're in the top upper point zero percentile of Christians, because most people don't know the love of God themselves, they know about the love of God. But if you actually know the love of God and have experienced the love of God, you are a very slim person. But you've only got one, one trillionth of God's character and his nature. This is why Paul said, and this is the context of why I'm doing this. I understand I'm going to say stuff, and it potentially would make some of you not come back. I get that. I'm not here for you. I'm here to you. There's a difference. And because I've, I've gone through all of those insecurities that I used to have about making sure that I'm really precarious with the room because I don't want anybody to leave me. Um, because I've, I've processed through that and I've grown and I've changed and I've actually repented. Because I do that, I have the ability now to literally say things from heaven and not try to pull back and worry about how they hit your feelers. Because I'm not headed for your feelers, I'm headed for your heart. And you don't have to... (laughs) not saying everybody has to agree with everything, okay? I get that. But, I'm going to say these things from Scripture. This is going to be biblically correct. And I would welcome the opportunity, if you have a different point of view or a different perspective, I welcome the opportunity to talk about that. But because there's been a varying amount of perspectives and opinions about all of this subject matter, America has taken a crazy, crazy trail that we were never supposed to be on when the Founding Fathers said, let's make a nation built on righteous biblical concepts and precepts. Let's put people in leadership that same idea and concept, and then let's make sure they cannot ever solidifying it constitutionally. And then we came along and decided to progress everything because they were idiots. So I'm going to deprogress stuff. I'm going to do my part to influence the political realm. I know, God forbid, talk about politics in church. I'll get there too. If you are paying attention at all, they have said things like, there are more people voting this year than have ever voted. In fact, I think in multiple states, they've already exceeded in pre-voting the total number of voting versus 2016. So there is an incredible in people's engagement in voting. And almost everybody from left and from right are talking about how exciting it is that so many people are engaged in voting. 
I tend to think different than most people on nearly everything. So here's my opinion. One is we assume that all of those votes are legal and legit. And two, why do we think that more people doing something is better? Let's do it this way. Let's say we, as a whole room, decided to exercise democracy, which is, democracy in its purest form is the majority rules. Most people think that's a positive thing. But what if the majority rules that we want to take, Pam has a, a nice Toyota uh, 4Runner, and uh, um, my wife's always wanted a 4Runner until she wanted a Tesla. Now she wants a Tesla. Um, I know, shocking. Uh, I want her to have a Tesla, too, because so, it has auto drive. So I can, like, go to, I can go to Texas and turn it into my office. I'll be one of those guys you do the video of. This guy's not even driving. You're darn right. I bought a Tesla. <laughs> Pam has a, a Toyota 4Runner. Really nice Toyota 4Runner. Pearl, pearl white, I think. Uh, just really beautiful. She really wanted it. So what if, as a democracy, we as a church decide that would be really great for the church to own instead of Pam? Right. Can I get 51%? Right. If I get 51% in a pure democracy, legally, we can go to her and say, sucks for you, sis. And nobody keeps. That's what a democracy does. And I don't think people understand this. So just because you get a massive uptick in voting and more people engaged in the political system does not necessarily turn out to be really positive for everybody because what if everybody, right prior to voting for whether we take Pam's forerunner away or not, I say, and by the way, Pam, terrible person. She literally kicked a dog on the way to church today. She's got money just literally coming out of her pocket. She's got gazillions in the bank. She doesn't even really like the forerunner. I've seen her bounce it off a snowdrift the other day. Now let's vote. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's going on right now. There are uneducated voters who are being lied to and manipulated. And because there's more of them, we think we're doing a good job. I am going to do something different. I am going to educate everyone in the room from the from the perspective of the Father on the issues that are going to be on the ballots. I am not going to tell anyone in this room how to vote. Did everybody hear me clearly? I will not tell anyone how to vote. But I will tell you on what to vote about if you call yourself a Christian. I, that's, my, that's my realm, okay? I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to Christians. It, the world can do what the world wants to do. They have legalized marijuana. They, I mean, they've done... If that's how they want to roll, I mean, that's their thing. But I'm talking to people that call Jesus Lord. Does anybody know what Lord means? I know it's an interesting concept to bring up in America, especially in 2020, when the coolest word that we want to use is no. But there's actually a Lord in heaven. And Lord is not, like, he wasn't voted in. Like, heaven didn't take up a poll and say, well, who should be Lord for eternity? Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer, Jesus. He was Lord. All of heaven knows it. 
In fact, when Jesus walks into the room in heaven, they don't, they don't act like most of us when Jesus walks into our rooms. I was so blessed this morning sitting here watching. Amen. You. Watching you. Momentarily when I was in and out. Um, last night I had a dream and I was in heaven and I'm not going to go there. Uh, but the father and I were talking about some stuff and it was so powerful to see you guys this morning in worship and a ton of you not giving a rip about who was next to you, about just honoring God with your worship, honoring the Father with praise, honoring Jesus. Do you know how unique that is? You know the world calls you absolutely batty crazy for worshiping God which is what everybody that says they're a Christian is going to do eternally and infinitely for the rest of time and then even after time ceases to exist. And people can't do it now and they think they're going to do it later. That's silly. If you can't do it now, I promise you, you're not going to go up there and do it forever. If you can't do it for 30 minutes... You think you're going to do it for 30 years? 30 billion years? Come on now. It is, I feel safe in this environment to do what I'm going to do. Because even if you disagree, I know that you know my heart. And I have no reason, desire, or purpose to manipulate anybody. I'm not on the ballot. Well, I am on the ballot. <laughs> Just thought about it. I'm actually an elected official. But... Only a few of you can vote for me. So I'm not, I'm not even going to talk about me. <laughs> if you vote for me, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> but I'm not on the ballot. So this isn't about me. I am a of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. I don't get to vote for what I want. I don't get to decide who's going to give me the most money and then vote for him. I have to do what my Lord says. If he's Lord. And really, honestly, my money or lack thereof it is supposed to come from him anyway. <laughs> the educated and engaged Christian position in America. So the first thing will be, because my remote is, oh, worked. Uh, maybe after you touched it. Mitchell has that touch. <laughs> Charles Finney was... Um, probably one of the most influential people in all of Christian American culture. He was a preacher right after the turn of the century, um, right around 1730-ish. Um, I'm sorry, 1830, right after we became a nation. We were a fledgling nation. And most people don't know this about the history of our nation, but after we were created a nation um, by some incredible, incredible patriots, founding fathers, all of, almost all of whom were exclusively Christian, after our nation was established by these people, most people don't know this, we went into a massive slide, morally. It was, it was atrocious. They were building uh, pubs uh, quicker than they were building houses in some places. We went into an abysmal moral spin. And Charles Finney was a lawyer in New York, 
and um, got radically, radically wrecked by Jesus. I love his testimony because Charles Finney says in his testimony, he had to know the truth. It's, this is kind of a clear thing. So he had to know the truth. So he went out on a hillside all by himself, and he said, I'm either meeting Jesus or I'm dying on that hill. I mean, that's, that's like, anyway, I know a lot of people are going to be like, have an understanding of that because a lot of folks show up to church or show up to Christianity and they're like, eh, if Jesus shows up, that's great. If not, whatever. But he was like, I'm going on a hill. I'm meeting God or I'm dying on that hill. What, what do you think God's going to do with a person like that? <laughs> so he had a radical encounter with God. And he's the one that says, this is the closest thing. Uh, collaborate with my uh, encounter with God, he said it was like wave after wave of liquid love flowing through him. And that is the closest that I've ever heard anybody give an analogy of the exact same thing that happened to me in 1995 on Baileyville Blacktop sitting on the side of the road in my 1978 Olds Delta 88. Jesus came into my car and all I can say was it was like waves after waves of liquid love. Flowing through me. And Charles Finney had a powerful, powerful encounter with God. So powerful that he literally was criticizing and condemning the pastors of his day because they were so unencountered with God. And their preaching and their ministry was so uninspired and lacked power and lacked emotion and lacked um, actual actual engagement and movement in the nation. And he was in the city, which was kind of the mess of the mess. And he's watching stuff go on. And he basically gets mad. And he goes and quits his, uh, he quits his law firm. He literally tells a client in the morning, he said, I am, I am under retainer by the Lord Jesus Christ, so therefore I cannot follow your case anymore. And he literally quit a client who was paying him so that he could go and preach. And he started preaching in the streets and in any little church that would have him. And he got thrown out, thrown out of a ton of churches. We don't understand history a lot of times. Like we look back, someone says, hey, the great preacher, Charles Finney. Everybody's like, yeah, Charles Finney. If you would have been alive during Charles Finney's time, they would have said like, hey, the great preacher, Charles Finney. You'd have been Charles Finney. He reminds me of Steve Cowell. I don't like either one. It, that was how most of the church treated him. And he plowed and plowed and plowed and plowed. And we got into the second great awakening in America. And he almost single-handedly was the tip of the spear that did it. And now we look back on the life and the ministry of Charles Finney. And it is of great reverence and great historical opportunity. The entire nation got into a revival and crossed the entire nation. People literally forgot to go to work. They forgot to do things because they were so engaged in the presence of God. And our nation exploded. We got into the Industrial Revolution and we became the most prosperous. I want you to understand, after the, after the war, most people don't know this historically, after the war, they were trying to make George Washington king. Because they had no idea how this nation was going to work. Even though 
they had a constitutional convention. They were trying to do a republic. They were trying to do a democracy. They were so scared because we owed so much money to so many people, including the soldiers. And the soldiers were pretty upset because they weren't getting paid that they said the best thing that we could do is make George Washington king. And then at least the soldiers won't kill the rest of the population for the money. That's how terrible we were after our uh, American Revolution. And God bless George Washington, one of the greatest men that has ever lived. Praise God. And by the compelling of the Holy Spirit, he would not and went and basically put all of the army at ease and at rest. Said, this is not what we fought for. We fought for a country. We fought for our neighbors. We fought for our families. And they, we got through it as a nation, but we were super, super broke. And at any moment, the, the, uh, con- the, con- the Congress was extremely, extremely concerned that at any moment, any nation could come and get us. And we were so completely devastated and decimated that nearly anybody could have taken us. It was but by the grace of God that we survived as a nation. And so this is when Charles Finney comes on the scene. We are... We are under uh, incredible financial pressure as a nation. We're under incredible moral uh, degradation as a nation. We, everything is kind of coming undone as a whole. And Charles Finney comes in and the gospel, the gospel resounds across this great land. And we launch into the most prosperous and the most amazing time that America had ever seen from about 1850 to 1950. It was literally incredible off the charts. And a ton of it had to do with the preacher preaching. And now we've lost value for the preacher preaching. Charles Finney said, Brethren, brothers, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits if morality prevails in the land. The fruit is ours in a great degree. If there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the pulpit, if the pulpit, if the public press, I'm sorry, if the public press lacks moral discrimination, does anybody ever pay attention to the mainstream media in the last? Woo wee! If the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, I have multiple minister friends who have presided over multiple homosexual unions this year when you're not even supposed to have a wedding. The pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, you can make an argument for that sucker, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundation of our government are ready to fall away. He spoke this from personal experience. The pulpit is responsible for it. Let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation. We, you, I, the church, 
is the only thing that is going to be the guiding light for the morality and success of the nation. As the church goes, as the people of God goes, so goes the nation. If we are complacent and we give a rip, that's why the enemy likes to come in and live in the shadows waiting for us to fall asleep so he can come awake as a snake and bind up everyone that we once loved. The historical significance of the church. Every one of the grievances against the King of England listed in the Declaration of Independence were preached from the pulpits of America. We don't have those pulpits anymore, by the way. They were preached from the pulpits of America before they were penned on the Declaration of Independence. Every word was once a sermon and turned into the document that you learned about, maybe, in public school. 29 of the 56 signers were seminarians. For those of you that don't know what the word is, that means graduated from seminary. In today's world, if you've graduated from seminary, <laughs> stuff. 29 of the 56 signers were seminarians, and almost all of them were active in the church and or ministry. Many of the organizations, many of the Christian organizations that we have today, like the American Bible Society, were founded by our American founding fathers. You know what that, you know what's radical to me now? If you take the 600 whatever people that are all in our American and put everything they've done together, add it all together, what they've done for the morality and for the spiritual progress of our nation, you probably wouldn't get to one or two of our founding fathers. And we put them in there. So you can shake and be all like, wag your finger, but we put them Pastors were largely at the forefront of the movement for independence. They were feared by the British Army. They were feared by the British Army, Amen. who called them the Black Robe Regiment. The 8th Regiment of Virginia was a Black Robe Regiment, and it literally was the most feared regiment in the British Army, because those guys fought for God. Amen. They didn't miss their shots. What has happened now? You know why the government was able to easily dis completely relegate the church to non-essentiality? Because we're weak. And I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad. Well, maybe a little bit. The reason they were able to do it to us is because they were able to do it to us. And I say us, I'm going to take a ton of responsibility as a leader of beloved church, but I only lead those that come. I can only be as influential as we as a body can be influential. If we aren't engaged, there's no engagement. If we don't believe in the church, and you know this, I, there are literally people that have told me I didn't come to church last week because I was watching a football game. I didn't come to church last week because I was golfing. I didn't come to church last week because I overslept. If that's how we feel about it, why are we mad that the government feels the same way? 
And I know I'm, y'all are here. God bless you. Uh, but I'm saying, like, in general, there is a popular sentiment among Christians to despise the bride, the church, and to not give her preeminence. And then we want to get mad because the government agrees? Come on now, that's not fair. Charles Finney, oh, sorry. In 1962, prayer, and in 1963, Bible reading was taken out of public schools. And the world cheered. And the church did nothing. In that time, what the church said, and I've read documents, what the church said is, well, you know, we don't, we don't have to have the Bible in school to read the Bible. We don't have to, like, have our kids pray in school to pray. We'll do it at home. We'll do it together as a family. If, I'm not this because multi-generational church, but if I made you raise your hand to verify that you, who grew up in a Christian home, did Bible study and prayer every day with your parents, I... You and I would probably be shocked at the minimal number of hands in this room. We did not do it. The public school system was created by the church for the purpose of teaching their children how to read the Bible and understand the thoughts of God, which included science and math. That was the purpose. I literally have textbooks from the foundations of the public school system and 90% of it is basically Bible courses. And now we took the Bible out and the church said, that's all right. We'll do it. We'll take care of it. Listen, y'all, we don't even have Sunday schools in churches anymore. We don't even have Sunday school, right. let alone week-long school. Because <laughs> we, we, we usurped our responsibility. The excuse? Well, that's political. We need to stay up. We just need to do the spiritual stuff. While our kids are being indoctrinated by the state. The consequence? Unprecedented. You look at any stat from any organization, not even Christian, unprecedented moral decline. Unprecedented. So unprecedented that in 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States, the Supreme, I hate that word when they say this stuff, the Supreme, the Supreme Court of the United States decided that unborn babies had no unalienable rights. Babies. Innocent Babies had no unalienable, which means God-given rights, and legalized murder. And what did the church do? March in the streets? Right? Go to the Capitol? Grab their legislator by the throat and say, who in the world made you God? March on... Washington, march on Springfield, throw a fit, fill up the church, and make sure that we voted all those terrible people out, we passed law. What did the church do? Did we fight for life? 
That's political. I'm not going to kill my baby, but if somebody else wants to kill their baby, that's their choice. Fifty plus million babies are now have been slaughtered by abortion in America. And those are the numbers that are reported. New York City and the state of California are not required to report numbers. The two most populous places in all of America don't even report the numbers. It is probably well over 100 million babies. 100. Whatever the church and the Christian is not in the church. The Christian, and by nature, Christ. Because Christ in is Christian. Christ in. Christ in. Christ is not in. What you usurp to somebody else to influence in, you usurp to that person or that entity. And I almost guarantee they don't have Christ. So by default, we have usurped a bunch of authority, a bunch of influence to anti-Christ people and organizations. There are lobbyists right now. I know a bunch of federal and state legislators, senators and state reps. I know a bunch of them personally. There are lobbyists right now that are paid millions of dollars to lobby in Congress, in the federal Congress, to lobby them, to let them pass a law, to encourage them to pass a law that makes it legal for a, for a father to marry his son because they've been having sex since they were born. They are lobbying for this. Lobbying for it. To pass it as a law. If they're trying to pass it as a law, how much do you think is happening? It's because we've usurped these things over to other people. We have educators in public school systems that God, bless them, probably couldn't hit spiritual purity with a stick. And they're teaching your children about sexuality. At Fourth grade. First Timothy 3.15 says, I write so that you will know that one, how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. He calls the church, the body of believers, the local church. He calls it the household of God. For those people that say, well, I don't like organized religion. I don't like to, I'm not a part of the local, I am the church. You arrogant, prideful thing. The Bible says that the local fellowship, that this is the household of God. We, the local church, are the church. Are we part of the church, the universal church? Absolutely. But are we a church? Yes. Do we do church things? Yes. If we don't, then there is no pillar and support of the truth. This is what's going on. They have changed words. They have changed language. And they have turned truth into their truth. And I could literally spend the rest of the day explaining how that plays out in our regular lives. 
But nearly everything that we use, all the language that we use, has been manipulated somehow by people who are more progressive than you and have redefined the language. And the more they redefine the language, just like love. Love means sex. And that is the farthest thing from the definition of love in the Bible. The farthest thing. The farthest thing. I won't stay focused. We must learn to guard our hearts and minds against the increasing power of manipulation in social media, print, and broadcast. You do know that they only show you what they want you to see. They show you the part that they want you to remember. They don't show you the whole video. They don't show you the entire exchange. They don't give you the whole speech. Oh, Trump said, I hate people. And they took one word from one speech and one word from another speech and one word from another speech and they put them together into a sound clip to create. You, you know that happens. It's not just Trump. It's any, I'm just using him as an example. It happens all the time. They, I've had him do it to me. They did me on Facebook that way. They, they took a section, a little tiny section of my sermon where I was talking about the COVID lie. And they spliced two sentences together and they put it out on social media and had thousands of likes and watches so much so that we've got death threats at our house. And I didn't even say what they said. I actually went back and watched it because I'm like, damn, I said that. And I watched it. I'm like, I didn't even say that. I said this, and then this, and then this. And in context, it was all biblically accurate. The way you, if you would have seen the video that they put out, I look like a, I won't say it. Pi, uh, remember on the day that Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, the devil had a louder and more righteous group screaming their vote. Their almost unanimous vote. Crucify him. Crucify him. So let me ask you this. Just because everybody thinks it's a right choice, does that make it right? The reality is that the political and social issues of our world, of our nation, are spiritual issues. I can literally drill them down to every single one. Barnett did a survey. They surveyed all the pastors in America and they said, Hey, how many of you believe... That the issues that are going on in the nation actually have biblical precedent to deal with them. And of the preachers that actually studied the Bible, because there was like 15% of them that said that they didn't know, which means they don't know what was in the Bible. So there's 85% left. Of the 85% that was left, 60% said that the Bible's... So a bunch of them are like, no, the Bible's just a poetic book. So 60 percent of them said that yeah, the Bible deals with the social issues, and they so then they asked the sixty percent, how many of you sixty percent are dealing with that in your churches? Ten percent, ten percent of the sixty percent, which means six percent, six percent of pastors actually tell their congregations how to biblically deal with the issues that are going on in their world, and we wonder why. The body of Christ is woefully ignorant as to what is going on outside of their own cerebral cortex. God's Word is our foundation and speaks to every political and social issues we will ever face. God actually knew what was going to happen. I know, shocking. This is how you vote. 
principles, platform, policies, and then politician. If you don't like a politician, great. That's number four. You know how many people are voting by making number four number one? Which means it's not actually going to be a vote who really would be the greatest leader. It's really going to be a vote on who's the most popular. Anybody ever go to high school? How's that popular? How do you feel about that popularity thing? Is that, is that really exciting? That popularity thing that everybody does? Listen to me, this is a profound statement. My faith votes. But I have no faith in my vote. If it's faith, it has an action. If you say you believe something and you're not actually doing something towards that goal, you're a liar. I know that's rough. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. You're a liar and you do not the truth is what the Bible said. But I don't have faith in my vote. I'm not casting my vote to God. It's not my prayer. I'm voting because my faith commands and demands me to. But I don't have any faith in my vote fixing this nation. The only thing that ever will fix this nation is the Lord, Jesus Christ, and the gospel of truth that we preach on our lips. The only way men can be saved, healed, delivered, protected, is through faith in the name and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I vote... Because I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But my faith is not in my vote. It is only in Jesus. So I'm going to show you platforms. Platforms. Between the two parties. So I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm showing you what you're voting for. If you vote blue, you're going to get what they're asking. Every politician out there that is a blue Democrat politician knows what is on the platform, has to swear an oath to follow the platform as much as he possibly can or she can possibly can. So if you're voting for someone, you are voting for the platform that they support. This is important. This is why it's not about the person. It's not about the individual. That's number four. Because they will be held accountable for the platform. The platform is the entire party that comes together and they literally all sign an affidavit that says, this is our platform. This is what we will try to do to the best of our ability. And they go on and do it. So if you want to know what the people really stand for, in other words, if you want to get through the fluff of what they're promising you, well, I'll give you everything. I'll give you a new car. I'll give you... They're only going to do what the platform says. This is what they're going to do. So if you want to know what you're voting for, look at the platform. So as it relates to religious liberty, the Democratic Party says that the Trump administration, too many, under the Trump administration, too many of our religious communities have been victimized by acts of intolerance, bigotry, and violence. Reads the pastor who was threatened to go to jail for having church by a Democratic governor. We will reject the Trump administration's use of broad religious exemptions to allow businesses, medical providers, social service agencies, and others to discriminate. We will confront white nationalist terrorism and combat hate crimes perpetrated against religious minorities. 
Democrats also recognize that to fully confront the legacy of systemic and structural racism, it is time to examine, confront, and dismantle the government programs that they built. Policies and practices that have unfairly targeted American Muslims as security threats. We will hold accountable those who engage in or enable violent or other illegal activity targeting religious minorities, like tearing down statues of Jesus, including by directing the federal government to address the growing and violent threat of white supremacist, neo-Nazi, and anti-governmental groups, like Antifa. That's what they say they're going to do. The Republican Party says we value the right of America's religious leaders to preach and Americans to speak freely according to their faith. Republicans believe the federal government, specifically the IRS, is constitutionally prohibited from policing or censoring speech based on religious convictions or beliefs. And therefore, we urge the repeal of the Johnson Amendment. I would ask for a show of hands, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. The Johnson Amendment was passed by LBJ uh, under his administration for the purpose. And I know you guys aren't going to believe me, but go look it up. Do, do some history. He literally passed it so that his opponent that he was running for in the Senate at that time was very religious. And so his opponent was going to all of the pastors of all of the churches and the pastors were supporting LBJ's opponent. And so LBJ thought it would be a great idea to go to his friends in the Senate. We need to pass a law that preachers and churches are not allowed to talk about politics and politicians. And he, he fluffed it over with some good language. And then all the Senate said, you know what, that's right. We just don't need those pulpits preaching politics. And thus was birthed. The Johnson Amendment, which is why they can threaten to put me in jail. This message that I'm preaching right now, if they filter it the right way, they can come get me tonight at the house. So the Johnson Amendment needs to be appealed. One of the two parties agree with what I just said. What does the Word of God have to say about these things? Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Now everybody look. We stand up and we'll do a Jericho march. Yeah, we were made free by Christ. Woo! But forget about the second part. Do not. This is a command by the head of the church, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not again get back into slavery. Dear Jesus. I don't know why this is, this is, goes over so many people's head. We're like, I'm American. I was born free. No, not not today. Not 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 even a little, y'all. But we've been we've been so oppressed and crushed by tyranny that we don't even know how to define freedom anymore. That's one of those words that I say free and people say, Yay, free. And then I say, Oh really? You're free. Yeah, I'm free. How many property taxes do you pay? Well, I rent. Okay, silly. But you don't pay. Woo, I know. You're free. Can you stand up in the pulpit and say anything you want? Well, within reason. Can you go to your workplace 
and tell them what your pastor preached about on Sunday? Oh, dear Jesus, no. I was threatened to be fired in my old secular job. They threatened to fire me about 17 times because I couldn't stop talking about it. We did baptisms in the commissary (laughs) until they found out. (laughs) Then I had to stop. I led people, I led customers, I led associates to the Lord all the time. I was on camera doing it. They'd bring me in, they'd threaten me, and they could have fired me anytime because I'd, I mean, I was guilty of telling people about the love of God at a job while they paid me. That's our world. You are in a certain percentage of slavery that has been affected on you. And you don't even know it. The invisible chains are the ones that hold the tightest. John 8.36, Jesus said, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. How many of you guys know the history of freedom and liberty? See, we were born in America. And we were born a bunch, or amongst a bunch of people who think... We know exactly what freedom... I mean, we're, if anybody's smart, we're smart, right? We don't understand that the history of freedom and liberty literally was birthed by Jesus. There was no such thing as a form of government pre-Jesus that actually honored people's personal liberties and freedoms. Ninety-nine. There was only one government in all of B.C. time that even had a semblance of democracy. Which is, anybody's ever seen the movie 300, Sparta! Sparta, Athens, was the only place, and it was about 430 B.C., that even had a semblance of democracy or personal freedoms. But it was only for people who owned enough land to qualify. If you weren't a girl, and if weren't a slave, and they define slave as somebody who worked for someone. So that was the personal liberty that existed pre-Jesus. After Jesus comes along, all of these people who get free in Christ start figuring out, hey, 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 I don't think it's okay to be put in the, under tyranny to a government. And they started they started being influential and created. This is where our nation was birthed from. People who had a radical encounter with freedom and liberty through Jesus Christ. And they're like, hey, you know what we should do? We should have a nation that honors that concept for all people. That's why in the Declaration of Independence, it says that these were inalienable rights that were given to us by God. That every single human being was created with these liberties. This only existed because people found out about the gospel. They're like, wait a minute, I was created in the image of God? Yeah. And you were created in the image of God? Yeah. So then you don't have a right to lord over me and make me a slave? No. Well, then I resist. Right. Shoot. And then we told the Redcoats, we resist. And they argued. And we won. Judges. The Blue Party says that they will appoint U.S. Supreme Court justices and federal judges who look like America. I have no idea what that means are committed to the rule of law, will uphold individual civil rights and civil liberties as essential components of a free and democratic society. A free and democratic society. 
You do not want judges up. Never mind. And will respect and enforce foundational precedent, precedence. Precedence. Not constitutional, not laws. Precedence. Including Brown v. Board of Education and Roe v. Wade. Their party says they will defend basically to the death Roe v. Wade. Democrats are committed to restoring the full power of the Voting Rights Act and ensuring every citizen can access the ballot box. <laughs> yeah, you guys know what's going on. We will enforce and strengthen the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act and will end racial and will end with a magic wand. Racial and religious profiling in law enforcement. This, uh, this hate crime stuff, uh, uh, this is, this is another one of those things that's popular. Like, yeah, pass some more hate crime stuff. You know, if you make it a bigger crime for someone to do it because it's hate, then you've just permitted people to do the lesser as long as they don't have the, the hate attached to it. Man, I just, I don't know why people don't. All right, so the other party, those guys. We support the appointment of judges who respect traditional family values. A mommy who's a girl. A daddy who's a boy. And children that they have in their home. And I have to say that because... The world is redefining mommy. The world is redefining daddy. The world is redefining marriage. The world is redefining love. The world is redefining family unions. If you believe in the Bible, there's only one family union. We condemn attempts by activist judges at any level of government to seize the power of the purse from the people's elected representatives by ordering higher taxes. Uh-huh. This happens a ton, just so you guys know. They pass something. The, the whole purpose of the Supreme Court is to make something constitutional or not. That's pretty much why they exist. That is the only thing they're supposed to be doing. They're not supposed to be ruling on marriages. They're not supposed to be ruling on whether boys can run and girls track meets. They're not, I mean, all of this stuff that they're doing, none of this is what they're supposed to be doing. They're only supposed to be ruling on what the legislator and the executive branch do and whether it is or is not constitutional. That's it. They're supposed to have this little bitty job. They're supposed to, on purpose, be the weakest of the three branches. But guess what they've been turned into? A political arm of whatever party is in power. So that they can additionally slay future generations with their terrible edicts. Not what it was supposed to be. They're supposed to be people that read the Constitution and have read the laws and they say, that's right, that's wrong. That's what you want a judge to do. Make a judgment, right or wrong. Based upon what? The Constitution. What is the Constitution based on? The pulpit! What does the Word of God have to say about this? Exodus 18.23 tells you what kind of people are supposed to have this position. Did you know the Bible says what kind of people are supposed to be in this position? Furthermore, you shall select out of the people, out of the people, able men who fear God. Fear God? You mean they have religion? 
You, you, you know they tried to kick Amy Coney Barrett off of the, the process because she was a Christian. And this says you're actually not supposed to have anybody who's not a Christian. But I digress. Men of truth. <laughs> I know. Those who hate dishonest gain. <laughs> right. I should be a comedian. All I got to do is read the Bible. Do you know our politicians are supposed to fear God and men of truth? And That's great. Where'd you get that? Who hate dishonest gain. You shall place these over, you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands of hundreds and of fifties. God, the actual system of government that we have was created by the Bible. Acts 6-3, therefore brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom. You know you can't get wisdom without the Spirit? Right. They're trying. And their wisdom says that people don't know which bathroom to go into. Whom we may put in charge of this task. Education. The Democratic Party says that they will make sure schools do not engage in and appropriately address discrimination, bullying, and harassment related to sex, including sexual orientation and gender identity. Both of which those terms don't make any sense. I double dog dare you to take a dictionary from 20 years ago and look up this word sexual, this word orientation, this word gender, and this word identity and see if you can figure out that they were trying to do what they're doing today. Race, national origin, immigration, or citizen status, religion, disability, or language status. We will protect the rights of transgender students. Democrats believe that everyone should be able to earn a degree beyond high school. This is incredible. If they choose to, without money... I want to write a platform. My platform. On the platform of the Steve Kessel party, I think that everybody should have a Tesla for his wife. Yeah. Starting a party right now. I think every man should have an AR. Where are the men? Why did you guys laugh? You guys don't want ARs? If you, if you don't want an AR, I'll take yours. And this man will have two. party. It's all for free. Woo! Tesla's like water from a spigot. Nobody pays for them. They just pop out. I'm sorry. I, you stop it. Democrats believe that everyone should be able to earn a degree beyond high school if they choose to without money standing in the way that is why we will make public colleges and universities tuition free for students whose families earn less than $125,000 roughly 80% of the American people Um, so I said I was going to talk about this free thing here's how you get free college Every one of the administrators work for free. All of the teachers and professors work for free. All of the janitors work for free. All of the grounds are kept for free. All of the gas and all of the vehicles on all of the campuses are free. 
all the paper is free. All the pens and pencils and ink and desks and lights and electricity and all. If all of that is free, education. As to the fact that most of you are cognitive to understand that none of that is actually going to work. They don't mean free. They mean free to you. Just like I said that we have a free materials wall. Free to you. Not free. Someone's paying for it. And they tell you exactly who's paying for it. The 80% are not the 80%. Which means 20% is going to pay for it. And I know, yeah, get those rich people, those terrible rich people who succeeded. Get them. You, you do know, like, they're just not going to pay for it. Like, you're going to show up at their house and, like, give me your money. Okay. They got rich from creating businesses. They'll just pass it on, y'all. If you think they're just going to be like, well, I guess I got less money because I put 14 kids through college. No, they're going to be like, so I'm paying for 14 kids' college at $140,000 for every one of their degrees? 140 times 14, so I need to raise the price of my widgets by... I know, shocking. This party says we support options for learning, including homeschooling. Let me say this. If your kids are in public school right now, I pray, legitimately, I pray that you are aware of what they're learning. And you are involved and engaged. Because they're not learning what you think they're learning. There are multiple states, well, multiple counties and school districts that have said the parents are not allowed to watch when their children are being taught. Why in the world would a teacher not want you, the parent, knowing what your child is learning? Think about that. They are teaching things that are literally evil. I've seen it and I've heard it. Yeah. Not making it up. If engage by either having your children in an education environment that you are producing or at least aware of the education environment that they're in, you are going to be in a terrible, terrible place. We support options for learning, including homeschooling. It is a great option, y'all. No one is going to love and care for your child's growth, development, education, and success more than you, the parent. Including homeschooling, career, and technical education, private or parochial schools, magnet schools, charter schools, online learning, early college, high schools. We especially support the innovative financing mechanisms that make options available to all children. Educating savings accounts, people paying for it, vouchers, people paying for it, tuition tax credits, the government not taking money so people can pay for it. What does the Word of God have to say about this? Titus, uh, Paul told Titus that older women, likewise, it doesn't, old doesn't mean old. 50. <laughs> when I turn 50, old will be number. But for right now, I'm not 50 yet, so old's 50. <laughs> I'm not, not going to look at anybody because there be things thrown at me here in a minute. Okay, older women... Older means mature. I know 
30-year-old women in this room that are more mature than some of the people that are 70 in the Spirit of God. It's not an age thing. It's a maturity thing. And guess what older women are supposed to be doing? They're supposed to have reverence in their behavior. They're not supposed to be maliciously gossiping. Or they're not supposed to be drinking a bunch of wine. Guess what's really cool today? To be the gal that's old and you got the signs on all the wine that you like to wine with. Teaching what is good. Hey, gals, guess what your job is? To live and teach good. If you're not, and you're not teaching it, and you expect your children to have it, you are anti-Christ. Yep, that's where I expected the standing ovation. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children. You know that word love in the Greek is agape. You know one of the reasons that gals don't know how to agape a man is because they don't have an example of agape love that was taught to them. You know, you can teach agape. It's not something you fall into. It's a place in this general area. It's actually God, and it can be taught. And because we've usurped this, guess where they picked it up from? I can tell you where I picked it up from. A porno mag from a dumpster in a trailer court. Yep, that was my sex education. A porno mag in a dumpster in a trailer court. And I coveted it. It was my favorite textbook. And you're laughing, but I'll guarantee that some of you probably have worse stories. Maybe it was inflicted upon you. One out of three women sitting in this building was molested before they were 13. One out of three. Guess what your education was? It was supposed to be this. It was supposed to be that. Fathers. Yeah, you thought you all were off the hook. That's right, women. Go teach them girls. Fathers, provoke your children under wrath. You know what that means? All that crap you do trying to be burping, farting, hairy chest guy and pushing your weight around the household and delineating that gal that is God's daughter that you call wife or you call woman and you tell her, go get you a sandwich. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You know your children love their mother? Guys, and when you treat her subhuman, you know you're provoking your children to hate you. And then you wonder why your kids grow up and hate you. Because eventually you guys get divorced and they want to go live with mom and you wonder why. Shocking. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you don't know the discipline of the Lord, the discipleship of the Lord, and the instruction of the Lord, what in the crap are you going to bring them up in? Well, this is what my grandpa taught me. And it may or may not be good. 22.6 of Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. In a way he should go. In a way he should go. We've changed this verse into train up a child in any old way that they go. Yeah. Hey, 
Want to be a princess? Okay, we'll buy you a dress. You can be a princess. This actually means that parents are supposed to pray about the future of their children. Radical concept. And then on purpose train them up in things that God created them for. You know what this is? Responsibility. <laughs> we don't like that word in America in 2020 because we're free. If you train a child up in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't get away from it. Human life. If I was a one-issue voter, if I was a one-issue voter, I'm not. If I was, this is my issue. Human life. Live in a country that values animal life and plant life more than human life. In America, I can go right down here to Savannah, Lock and Dam number 13. I can climb a tree. And there is an eagle's F, a bald eagle's nest that is, they hang out in Lock and Dam 13 Savannah. I can climb a tree, and if I touch, physically with my finger, if I touch an eagle egg at Lock and Dam number 13 in Savannah, Illinois, I can go to jail for five years under a federal fence and pay $200,000 in fines. If I physically touch. But I, righteous, legitimate pastor, of a great healthy church in northern Illinois can go and rape a 17-year-old, convince her not to say anything, get her pregnant, take her to an abortionary, get the baby murdered, come back and preach and get my good salary. And I will be in perfect right standing with the federal government. This is my issue. In the Democratic Party, they will repeal the Hyde Amendment, telling people that I don't have the right to tell you that abortion is murder. That's basically what that means. That's why they put this under the human rights thing. And protect and codify the rights to, productive, to reproductive freedom. Do you see the twisting of the language? Yeah. Reproductive freedom. Reproductive freedom, which means if you are reproducing, you have a freedom to either stop reproduction by killing the baby. Democrats will always protect sexual and reproductive health and rights. We believe that comprehensive health services, including access to reproductive care and abortion services, are vital to the empowerment of women and girls. 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 Did you see it slip in there? Because it's coming. They're, they've already said in California that a 14-year-old girl can make sexual decisions and sleep with a 40-year-old man. It's legal now in California. 14, 40. It's legal. What did the, church, the reason you don't know, the reason you're really shaking your head right now is because you didn't know. The reason you didn't know is because the church kind of just didn't engage. Well, 14, I mean, that's not 13. We will support and repeal the global gag rule, also known as policy, which means that America doesn't send money to other countries and other cities that are committing abortions. Not only are we funding abortions in America, but we're sending our money. We used to be the country that sent missionaries. 
Are, are you following me? That used to be what we did as a country. We used to send missionaries. We would send money to give people relief. We would send food. We would go build houses for people. We used to be that country. And now we're the country that sends money and doctors to go kill babies. And we need to stop not letting that happen, says one of the parties. And measures like the Helms Amendment, which limits safe access to abortion, we will also restore and expand American contributions to the United Nations Population Fund. If there's ever been a twisted word, they literally on their website says that their goal is to depopulate the world because we're overpopulated. And it's called the Population Fund. To help guarantee access to health care for women and children around the world and eliminate child early and forced marriage. The Republican Party says the Constitution's guarantee that no one can be deprived of life, liberty, and property deliberately echoes the Declaration of Independence proclamation that all men are created and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights to life. Accordingly, we assert the sanctity, the sanctity that is a divine word, y'all. The sanctity of human life. And affirm that the unborn child has unborn child, not a fetus, not a zygote, not a clump of cells, it's a person. That an unborn child has a fundamental right. I cannot believe that we have to say that. Which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislations to make clear that the 14th Amendment protections apply to children before birth. Children before birth. What's the Bible say? You. You. Were made. You were made. You didn't happen. You weren't a mistake. You might have been a surprise to your parents, but not a mistake. You did not surprise God. You were made by the hands of God. All the delicate inner parts of your body. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, says every woman. You guys will catch that later. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. God cares for every one of those that we think can be thrown away. Planned Parenthood is what makes that happen. Here's the quick. The Democratic Party wants to fund infinitely Planned Parenthood. 40% of every abortion that has taken place in our nation has been done by Planned Parenthood. They are personally responsible for approximately 30 million Murdered babies. 30 million. If that happened in some other nation, we would be dropping nuclear bombs on their capital city. But because it happened here, it's got to be right, right? Because we would never do anything wrong in America. The Republican Party says, take their money away. All right, this is going to be tough. And I'm not trying to do this to make anybody feel guilty. 
and I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand so nobody can see anybody that feels guilty, but if you paid federal income tax in 1973, and I know that's an older group of folks, I get that, but if you paid, if you paid federal income, uh, income tax in 1973, and you've paid it from then until you quit working, if you did that, you personally paid for the abortion of two babies. I know that gives you warm fuzzies. I'm sorry, but that's the math. You personally, because the government paid for abortions, 300000 a year for many, many years until 1980, when they said that the government should no longer pay for abortions. So if you federal income tax from 1973 until 1980, you personally paid for two aborted babies. Whether you knew it or not, whether you wanted to or not, whether you like it or not. What does the Word of God say? Jeremiah 1.5 I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. There was a purpose for you before you were born. You don't actually need to go and find your purpose. <laughs> you need to receive your purpose. And appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Maybe some of you are prophets. Nobody? Need to do better at that, Bob. <laughs> Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. <laughs> Rescue those who are being taken away to death. What are we supposed to do for people that are being set up to be killed? Rescue them. What is a normal, godly, righteous human response for someone being drug off towards death? Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those that are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we didn't know that this was happening. I didn't know I paid for two deaths. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Frederick Douglass. I have a political idea. He was not a politician. He was an advocate for human life. I have but one great political idea. That idea is an old one. It is widely and generally assented to. Nevertheless, it is very generally trampled upon and disregarded. Amen. The best expression of it I have found in the Bible. It is, it, it is in substance, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. This constitutes my politics. The negative and positive of my politics and the whole of my politics. I feel it is my duty to do all in my power to infuse this idea into the public mind that it may be speedily recognized and practiced upon by our people. He wasn't even a preacher. And he cares more than most of the pulpit. This is a place that all of you can go to if you are now excited about voting. Everybody should vote. Hey, 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 hey. That was lame. <laughs> if you no, 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 no. If you're excited about voting, go to iVoterGuide.com and you're going to see something like this. And you can punch in your zip code and they will send you exactly who you are going to be looking at on Tuesday if you have already voted. iVoterGuide. It's very, very simple. 
if you don't know what's going on. Like, for example, if you're an Illinoisan, which is not everybody, but if you're an Illinoisan in here, they're actually voting for a progressive tax. A progressive tax is antichrist. If you vote for the progressive tax, you are voting against the Bible. It's just that simple. These things are probably broken down here. If you, after all of this, if you still don't know, call me. I will help you make an educated Christian vote. Now you can't say, well, I didn't know. Now you know. This is the end of the PowerPoint, and so I would like to pray for you. Thank you so much for sharing a few moments with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His precious, life-changing Word. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and at Beloved Church, this is where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved. I pray, I desire, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way. As you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you, and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved. Speak life.